<laughs> Isn't that weird? Two, 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 two. Maybe she's going to get twins. That would be amazing. I don't think they saw one there, so they would probably be aware of that, right? All right. So um, also, uh, just with regard to our giving, um, we don't do giving like we ever used to with the plates and everything. So you can always give live. There's just a couple of boxes there. And also, if you have any trouble with giving, you know, in terms of how to do it online, it's all in our bulletin, so you can get a bulletin. Helps you. And by the way, thank you for the giving uh, that has been going on all year long and uh, through the years, through this time of the pandemic. We haven't missed a beat. You guys have been good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It's just been an incredible thing. So, Also, there was a brother that gave me a word earlier, and I, I just wanted to mention it. I, um, I just think that uh, he mentioned the word uh, double for your trouble which I think is actually scriptural. I won't preach a whole sermon on that, but I, I, I do believe that uh, when we have trouble, there's attack and counterattack. And, uh, and so uh, he had that word, double fear trouble, and I, I've seen that in various passages of scripture. So you might want to just remember that with regard to anything that's happening with your finances or trouble or in your life or what's been stolen or taken away from you, whether it's financial or otherwise. Uh, just ask God, always, always ask Him when I have a real problem. So, Lord, I want double for my trouble. I want double the time, double the money, double whatever it is that I need, right? Uh, especially the thief comes only, only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to do what? Give and give it abundantly, right? All right. Okay, so uh, we're going to talk about the shameless audacity of prayer today. I want to just read from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus gave him an example. He said, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Now, what's about to happen here is, He's giving you information about what to pray, but then there's what I call the texture of prayer. What does it feel like to approach God? What does it feel like in the process of asking God for something that you need, right? And uh, what does God expect? So these are the words. These are things you can say. They cover different territory, different aspects of our life. But then there's that faith part, which is uh, especially critical whenever you come to God and approach Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? So suppose... You have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, that word shameless audacity is a great translation of this. It's a great translation. It's one of the best I've ever seen in this passage. Because of your shameless audacity, it sounds kind of modern, but it's true. Shameless audacity describes the whole thing. Because you're bugging God, in this case, bugging this person that has something you need, he will get up and give you as much as you need, which I just think that's an incredible thing right there. If you let that sink in for a moment. And then he goes on. So I say to you, ask and it'll be given to you. And the verb tense there is keep on asking, and it'll be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you'll find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives, the one who keeps on seeking finds, and the one, the one who keeps on knocking, the door will be opened. Uh, how many people was that? Just a test. How many people knocking, asking, seeking? How many? 
Everyone. It's for everyone. No one left out. Oh, I'm an exception, you know. You don't understand. No, everybody's in this place. Keep on knocking, keep on asking, keep on seeking. If you have plenty of money or whatever resource, I find that people are always short on something, something often serious that they need, right? Don't give up. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a stone, or give him a scorpion? Or if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's interesting at the end there. Because we're thinking about the fish and stuff. Then he just puts that word Holy Spirit in there. So God's your provider. He is the bread of life. So when the Spirit of God comes, he touches finances, he touches health, he touches everything. So we just need more of him, right? And so when we're asking, we're asking for more of God in the areas that we need it, right? So I want to talk about this shameless audacity. We see it a little bit here. Yet because of your shameless audacity, you just don't think of that sometimes with prayer. But that's how the Lord wants us to be, how aggressive he wants to be, us to be. Part of learning to pray is learning to be shamelessly audacious with our prayers and our spiritual life. The Greek word for audacity, anadea, literally means no shame or without shame, shamelessness, audacity, unabashedness. The word describes brazen pursuit and pursuit of something. So as we talk about prayer and thinking about seeking God, he likes this brazen pursuit. The more I move along in the Lord, the older I get, the more I realize how much he really likes this brazen pursuit. Sometimes he baits me along, pushes me along a little bit, right? Well, how much do you want this? How much do you really want this? Oh, we talk about this. We're going to talk about that in the Super Bowl today. I wonder which team wants it the most, right? Well, with God, it might surprise you to know that you can pursue God the same way. And he will test you on it. Sometimes he plays hide and seek. I don't know why that is exactly. But it draws us out into this place, right? It's part of our privilege, actually, with the Lord. It's, it's amazing. We're, we're destined for the throne, in the words of Paul Bellheimer. But in a way that we might not have figured, we think of all this glory and stuff. But destined by, for the throne means that we share God's authority in the universe. He delegates it to us. And this isn't, that's an amazing responsibility, an amazing thing. It's amazing to me how many people do not take up their authority, especially in matters of prayer. Prayer is the supernatural hand of God changing and rearranging. It's, as far as I can tell, an amazing, amazing, amazing open opportunity. This boldness comes from Jesus' love and sacrifice for us, given his unique experience and standing with God. And I just want to read out of Hebrews Chapter 14, uh, sorry, chapter 4, verses 14 to, to 16, to, to sort of reinforce that. I love passages of prayer like this in the scripture so much. They just give me so much enlightenment and just encourage me to no end because I, I see there's possibilities for me, right? No matter how bad things are. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, he's talking about Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now, that's our general faith, but also the faith we profess in every area where we want God to do good. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So that's what he wants. Every area you could have abundance. He wants abundance in your life. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with your weaknesses. Aren't you glad about that? So he's not overbearing. He understands our weakness. He's trying to grow us out of our weakness, challenge us in our weakness, and say, you know, I have answers. Come on now. You can do it. Reminds me of Peter in the boat, right? 
And uh, they're out in the middle of the lake, and Jesus walking on the water says, Come on, come on. I think there's more of that than we know. Because ultimately, we're destined for the throne. We're destined to rule and reign with God. And to do that takes F-A-I-T-H. In other words, like L-O-V-E. But that faith one can be scary. Because he often sets you up and puts you in places where you absolutely have to step out. You never get too old for it, nor do you ever get too mature for it. There's always new challenges, new ways. There's, you know, you, and, and if you don't want to do that, it's really bad because it's in the middle of a ball game and you just can't leave the game. <laughs> this game you don't lose. You, you don't leave and also you don't have to lose. <laughs> Ultimately, you don't have to lose, right? For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. That could be te- translated tested in every way. Was Jesus tested in every way? Well, it's what the scripture says. Every way. Just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? Confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So this is this privilege that we have. This weak thing called prayer is just an amazing place where we can come and get provision from God. Jesus continually invited his disciples to walk in a bold place praying for the love, mercy, and power of God. He was always doing it. You look at how he discipled those disciples, you just got a picture of how he's discipling you. Well, no, you're not walking with him, you know, on the Sea of Galilee. You're not walking with him, uh, you know, in the mountains around Jerusalem. You're, you're not there geographically, but you are there spiritually. Every one of us is taking the same walk that the disciples walked, right? So it's really fascinating the way he addre- uh, addressed those disciples and what he did with them as they're following around uh, Israel, and even a little bit outside of Israel. Matthew 10:1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. I am positive they didn't think that was part of their commission when they started. They probably had no idea, <laughs> right? And all of a sudden he's challenging them to drive out evil spirits and to heal the sick. Peter to walk on the water. What is that all about anyway? Just so Jesus could get a kick at watching him squirm as he's sinking? No, he was teaching him. And you are in school too. It's called the audacious school of prayer and pursuit of God, right? And the miracles of God. Not only for you, but see the whole issue is not just about you to learn to be powerful in the provision of your own needs, but for you to be an answer to somebody else. Sometimes to be an answer to somebody else, many times to be an answer to somebody else, it takes a tremendous amount of faith stepping out there to do that. It really does. Especially if we're going to uh, reach into the dark spots of our community and of the world. It takes a lot of faith. We've been on that journey of faith a lot during this time of COVID, but we've stepped so much further than the COVID crisis and into the depths of the pain of our culture now. And uh, I'm just so happy the way we've done that. We've been able to help multiple people, lots and lots of people. And a good thing about it is it's much, they're much more grateful these days and much more happy about actually hearing about God because the devastation and the sorrow was bad, but now layer upon layer has been added. People are so open, but there's a lot of effort in this. There's a lot of faith that's required if we actually want to do what Jesus did. Verse 7, as you proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's the rule of God has come near. And actually that word come near would be better translated. The kingdom of heaven is pressing on you. It's not just hanging out somewhere by you, but the kingdom of heaven is pushing on you now. So he says, do this, proclaim the kingdom of heaven is pushing you. When I operate 
in this room, the kingdom of heaven's pressing on you. When you go out into the world and your family and your life, the kingdom of God's pressing on whoever you are. God's in you, pushing on the world in a good way to heal, to help. When I showed up, God showed up. That's really what we're saying here. This is what he's trained his disciples in. But it wasn't just the disciples. It's you and I. This is our calling. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Now, those things that we just said there, which are pretty dramatic, most of that's done with your mouth, right? Jesus did it with his mouth. Tabitha, arise. Tabitha, arise, right? You give him something to eat. You know, praying for the dead, praying for the sick. Cleanse those who have leprosy and driving out demons. That was a real kick. <laughs> Trying to drive out demons. I thought, and I bet in their widest imaginations, they would never believed that they would be driving out demons. And that would be part of their commission. I remember when the first time I tried that. That was a quite a ride. I was 17 years old trying to cast a demon out of a person who suddenly went deaf. That was really amazing. Just a bunch of teenagers around. Their eyes were big. We'd just been baptized in spirit. We're going to do it, man. It was... <laughs> And she was screaming, and then she went completely deaf. And then we thought, uh-oh, what do we do now? She's screaming, I can't hear, I can't hear, I can't hear. <laughs> so we got, okay, well, whatever's causing you not to hear, I command you to leave in Jesus' name, right? And she could hear again. Wow, I was like 17 years old. That was a kick. Scared me half to death. But boy, I tell you, I got addicted in a hurry. I thought, whoa, that is so cool. <laughs> and it is cool scary and cool at the same time that's a pretty good way to describe the kingdom if you really get deep in the kingdom I think many of us live far too boring lives because we don't understand the shamely audacity of praying and asking God to do stuff he says here in verse 8 freely you have received freely give and he tells him not to take any gold or silver and to trust God and, <laughs> and all of this whole thing right shameless Audacity, it's a great word, really, describes our walk with the Lord. Look at uh, uh, chapter 17 of uh, Matthew. You just see this in Jesus' training process with his disciples, but you know, their training process to become uh, the people that they were to represent Jesus in the world is our training process. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus, knelt before him, Lord, have mercy on my son, he said, he has seizures in his suffering he falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. So they're in training. Then the disciples, well, how come we couldn't get that one out? Why couldn't we drive it out? Because you have so little faith. Here's an interesting thing about that. So in a demonic exchange, the thing is, demons know more about your faith than you do. They can smell fear because they live in it and cause it all the time. So when you're afraid, they, they don't move. <laughs> hey, this guy's terrified. And then they try to do everything they can to terrify you, right? Which if you're just beginning in that old role, it's pretty easy to do, right? <laughs> so as what's happened, he says, because you have so little faith, right? The, the demonic thing could, cease it, could sense it. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So he was just saying, you're at the very beginning of this. Really, it doesn't require that much faith, but you're such at the beginning of this, it's not that big a deal. Demonic things have to submit to my name. Just get behind my name and learn to use that name authentically. Learn You don't use that name often, right? That's also a part of our 
training in terms of learning to understand and navigate the audacity of prayer. Matthew, I mean, who would have known? They would have never thought. Sometimes we would never thought that would actually be coming against supernatural demonic forces. It's so funny to me as I look at our world and on the TV and everything and they have these little ghost things and they're like trying to find demons and everything. If one actually showed up, they would never do it again. They would never do it again. And the demons that are playing with them, you know, and just da 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 And then they have these fake sounds that come on like, oh, did you hear that? You know, nobody heard anything. It's all for money, right? But if it actually happened, they would never do it again. If they actually had an encounter with one, they would not do that again, especially while that's speaking out loud or causing things to move, right? So they, these disciples were at the very beginning, you know, very beginning of, of, their, of their pursuit of God. Truly, I tell you, this is Matthew 18, 18. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Wow. That's a lot of possibilities there. Think about the possibilities. Whatever. What's in what your whatever today? I can think of a lot of whatevers right now. Some of them are in the government. (laughs) Some of them are over here, over there, right? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosened. So there's this huge responsibility. We're looking around pointing fingers. The question is, do you bind and loose? Do you even pray? Do you even pray for the government? Do you care at all? Do you have any faith whatsoever? Just throw a prayer up here and there and just think, well, it's all come out in the wash. That's not your responsibility. That's not who you are. Jesus is trying to train them. You're in the middle of this thing called pain, sin, and sorrow. That's your job. Before you start throwing stones at too many people, I encourage you to make sure that your prayer life is alive and well and that you're dealing on a supernatural thing with the things a level that we see behind the things in front of us. Because until the church gets to that place, we're just going to be wasting a lot of time. We really need to understand our identity and our authority and learn to use it in the heavens, right? With shameless audacity. He says this, Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Then what are you agreeing on? Are you agreeing about anything? Or two of you, even your husband and wife and your family? It's amazing how many husbands and wives have problems in their marriage. They forgot that there might be demons that want to tear their marriage to pieces. They never pray together. They never agree together. They didn't know that they could be shamelessly audacious with the Lord and he might just heal their marriage. He might just take care of their troubles in ways they couldn't imagine. Again, truly I tell you, that if, he's, he's saying again, he's saying it because he wants to reinforce it. If two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, so what's the last thing your wife and you agreed about in prayer? I'm getting convicted as I speak. <laughs> what's the last thing you prayed about with your kids? Your family? A friend? just takes two of you to agree about anything they ask for. I would think that a husband and wife would be the best prayer duo of all. It's amazing how the enemy tries to put a wedge in that. He does not want you as a husband and wife to do that. He puts wedges, distractions, everything under the sun to get you not to pray with your wife or or your children or those closest to you. They're too familiar in a way, right? So you know about them and they know about you, all the weakness. So in our weaknesses, we actually are strong. Use your weaknesses to be strong, not weak. God's under no illusion of your own holiness, <laughs> of how worthy you are to be praying before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We act like he doesn't even see a thing. And then we're kind of ashamed when we go to prayer. He already saw everything and more. He's got it. He understands you're not too great. He's got it, right? Until, 
They come to Jesus in prayer. So easy to forget this. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. There am I with them. That's why I love our prayer in the marketplace. Because it's often with business people, the, the last place they go to solve their problems. I think it's the first place you should go. Money moves mountains, right? Especially money that God gives moves mountains, but also what the evil one does. He moves mountains with money. We, are, we know all about what the evil one does. I think, the, I think the church is yet to understand what God does with money and how he moves things around. For a faithful person who will pray for him, be prosper and be faithful with his money, and also have the audacity to say no when the enemy tries to steal it. That's one thing I find that's a grievous thing. People make money and it's all stolen from them because they have no prayer habit. They have no ability to deal with the demonic things that come. They just don't deal with it. They just think it's just business or it's just the interest rate or whatever. I think the enemy's come to steal a lot of stuff from us and we just let him come, especially in the business realm. We think maybe the business world or the how we make money is a separate world and then our spiritual life is over here. No, they're all put together. Jesus would never leave that out. If it's important to you, it's important to him. And I know money is important to all of us. So why would we not be praying in that particular area? That's why part of the Lord's Prayer is give us this day our daily bread. It's in there for show. Throw that one in there, uh, Gabriel. I'll put a whole piece of that and everything because it's one of the key issues of our life. Give us this day our daily bread. Not for your life just to prosper you, but for your life to cause good in the earth. To influence the earth. We rail on and on, go endless political discussion of how the uh, owner of this business, the owner of that, controls that, is manipulating the environment. Listen, I know about that. Well, let's bind that in prayer and let's ask God to give powerful believers the same money. Have you ever thought about that? Is give us this day our daily bread, just get enough so you can scrounge by and go to heaven? I think the world's too broken and beat up. Why don't we turn the resources of God and the prayer resources to get them so that we can help the poor, the weak, the broken, and spread this gospel from one end of the earth to the other? Why don't we do that? How about that? I think that's a good idea, right? I'll tell you what. One thing I've learned about this with regard to praying uh, and for resources and all kinds of things is if you see a miracle happen where God gives you the resources... It's amazing, and uh, you don't often misuse those resources because you finally figure out where it all came from in the first place. You're under the illusion somehow your spectacular talent or ability has caused all this to happen, right, until it's gone. But when you pray, you realize, wait a minute, I can touch this area of my life. And as it comes, it's one of the most spectacular ways we actually learn about praying. That's why I think it's so important that you learn to pray that part of the Lord's Prayer, give me this day my daily bread. It's dramatically tied up in your everyday life. And as you get answers, you actually begin to realize how God works. Part of this shameless audacity of prayer is learning to see how God works. It's a test case. It's a way to figure out how God works. He's got our attention. In our money, he has our full attention. So we see him do this or that happens. We go, whoa, okay, that was good. I think God liked that. Ooh, that was bad. Hmm, did I leave something out? Oh, yeah. Okay, so God will reveal it to you in prayer, whatever that is, right? And it's not always not giving enough. Sometimes it's just sinning, period. Just the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Sin lets the devil in in all kinds of ways. 
He'll steal everything that you possibly have. He'll steal your money, your relationships, everything. He goes for everything. Your health he tries to devastate everything. Sometimes we think the devil is just in the corner stealing a little bit. We'll let him do a little bit. Well, see, the thing is, the devil doesn't do that. He wants to take over. He's like cancer. Exactly. So you give him one place in your life and he wants to steal everything. Pretty soon he's after your money. Then it's really getting serious, right? <laughs> or he's getting after your health. Or he's getting after your marriage. Just a little bit over here. So we have the power to not do that, first of all. But also, if we find ourselves in that place, to confess our sins, like we said in the scripture, say, I did it, get clean of it, and then move on into something else and the wonderful, amazing grace, grace of God. Matthew chapter 20. Let's read uh, verses 29 to 34. This gives me just this so wonderful picture. I love these pictures of God. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. Why would they do that? Well, you're ruining our parade, you know. You guys are cursed. Everybody knows that you're cursed. That's why you have uh, blindness. Something happened in your family line. You did something, and God, God, God uh, made you blind. But they shouted all the louder, son of, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now, in any other environment with their religious leaders, they would have told them to shut up, and they would have done that. But Jesus was different. So they did what we should do. I, can I just say that again? That's not, I like the way I said that. Jesus is different. He's different from all the other people, persons, entities you're enslaved to. He's different. He's actually generous, especially when you call him, and he listens a second and a third time. When you call him, he doesn't go deaf the first time. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on you. Oh, by the way, can I just say something about that? Sometimes he likes to hear the third and the fourth cry. Remember the audacious, shameless audacity? Knocking on the door? We give up after the first thing. You don't give up. You just keep on knocking. That was the whole thing we did in the beginning. Did you hear that? Because of his shameless audacity, right? The door's open. And that's the way it is with God. I mean, I don't know why he put it together that way, but he just plays it. Maybe it just encourages us to be a little more violent. <laughs> maybe feel a little bit more aware of who we have to worship and how God wants to help us. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called what do you want me to do for you? He asked. What? Like, like he didn't know? He's a supernatural son of God. I think he knew. And plus a blind guy trying to chase after he's a little difficult, right? I'm sure he understood they were blind. Why did he ask that question? Oh, man. That's a $64,000 question here. Why? What do you want me to do for you? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? No. I would really like to hear you say it. Why? Because I want to teach you how to use that mouth of yours for something other than destruction <laughs> and trouble. Right? Lord, we want our sight. I mean, they could have got offended at that. <laughs> you say I'm blind, you're asking, you know, come on, walk off, storm off. People did that with Jesus a little bit, right? He offended them sometimes. Well, what do you want me to do? <laughs> we want to see. Jesus had compassion on them. And touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. So Jesus could have easily just kept on going. He's the big guy, you know. Who cares about these? But Jesus saw them. And by the way, while we're pointing our shameless audacity of prayer, let's point it toward the weak. God really likes you to do that. Oh, yeah. Let's just try to point it toward the weak a little bit. Not only just on us, but over the problems of our, our community, the problems of our life, for people we see on the side of the road, 
God hears those prayers, by the way. Sometimes we're so afraid of people on the road, people that don't have much, maybe a beggar or somebody. We don't even pray for them. We don't know what to do with them, so we just sort of leave them there, right? At least we could pray for them. Well, is that enough? Well, it's better than doing nothing, <laughs> right? Well, what if I don't have any money? Don't worry about that. By the way, if you have such a low estimate of what your prayers do, you won't pray. But wonder if your prayer made the difference in that person's life. You saw him right there, and you prayed for him or her, and saw that suddenly God put together some kind of supernatural scenario, and they got well or something happened. Don't pass on the other side. At least pray, right? You might not have any money or whatever. Just, just pray. Pray. Such a vault, amazing, powerful place that we have before the Lord. Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 to 22. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on the way back to the city, he was hungry. Seen a fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree, the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did that fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Like I'm just going through Matthew, a little casual uh, jaunt here. Do you see these scriptures? They're popping up around every place. Every example he can give them. How in the world did that fig tree wither? Hey, well, you can ask anything. It'll be done. You could even say to this mountain, and away it goes, right? Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always what? Pray. Pray and not give up. I like that part. Aren't you glad he put that, not give up? John, don't give up. More is coming, right? Don't give up. Whatever you lost before, God will give better. He never gives worse. He always gives better, right? So he's in a business thing now. Same for all of us, right? In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. <laughs> well, that was one violent widow. But it's instructive. That's who we are. And Lord, the Lord said, "Listen to what the unjust judge says. Shall and will God not? Will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off?" The most dangerous part about this whole pandemic thing is, I think the church is finally praying. Dangerous for the enemy. The question is, will we keep crying day and night till this thing's over? That's a big question for us. Huge question. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It's not when he comes in the second coming, when he comes to visit you, comes to look over your situation, you know? Will he find faith on the earth? When he comes knocking at your door, well, what you need, what's going on? When you hear his knock, will he find somebody on the other side that'll open the door? Will he find somebody at home? Will he find faith in your house, right? In James chapter 5. I love all these passages. I've lived off them for years. They have so many 
nuances to them, and they're so powerful. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Verse 16, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective for you and for other people. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly it would not rain, it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. I just always laugh when I go through that. Yeah, me and Elijah. <coughs> We're just like that. <laughs> you know, I just think, and here's Elijah. You know, he said, you know, I don't want it to rain, God. Okay, fine. That's not going to rain. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, obviously, God was behind this. But it tells us here that Elijah was told by God, pray and cause the heavens to shut. And next, I want you to pray and tell them to open. So the most amazing part of this prayer was Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He's comparing us to Elijah. The power of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And if you think about this with Elijah, he's from the Old Testament dispensation. He didn't have the blood applied to him yet. Right? Wow. How much more? We, blood-bought. When we come before the throne, we come boldly to a throne of grace. The blood cleanses us of our sins. That's why part of the prayer is forgive us our sins. You would think it would have to be a little bit bigger than that with our sin, an amount of sin or failure. No, just forgive me my sins. I I admit it. I did it. Forgive me. And Lord, by the way, because you forgave me, I'm going to let some other people off the hook as well. Now I'm going to just go through the prophet Daniel here a little bit as we move into this part of the sermon and, and, and finish. The prophet Daniel literally shaped Israel's destiny while in exile with his persistent, shameless, audacious prayer for the return of Israel to their homeland every day, every morning, actually three times a day, for 70 years. Now that's a prayer life. God answered his prayers for his survival and the survival of his friends, of his friends over the same period of time because he was actually appointed in the royal scheme of things, actually moved up because of his skill and ability, and then later because of his prophetic ability, near the very top of the government, right? Which got him into a little bit of trouble. But here's an amazing thing. He remembered when he was, he was probably taken in exile when he was maybe 14 or 15 years old, maybe a little younger, I don't know. Somewhere in that vicinity, right? So he stays in this empire for 70 long years. In the process... He shows promise, and he has a supernatural ability to interpret things and to pray. And he gets promoted, and it gets him in trouble sometimes, but also puts him at the highest echelons of the government. And because he and three of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were at the top of the government, they also made them very liable because the other leaders of the land would get jealous. So also they had these impetuous kings that they were working for who would kill you in the drop of a moment. If you offended them anyway or did something wrong, they'd get rid of you, you know. They were horrible. They had all power. They could kill anybody anytime they wanted. No due process. Nothing, right? So, the first king that Daniel served under was named Nebuchadnezzar. He wanted to know the interpretation of a dream he, he had and threatened to kill all the wise men of the king. And these are all his advisors. It'd be like Joe Biden said, you know what? You guys don't give me the right advice. I'm going to kill all of you. I about to said something I shouldn't. I don't know. Thank you, Lord. I didn't say that. <laughs> anyway, wanted to know the interpretation of a dream he had and threatened to kill all the wise men of the kingdom unless they revealed the dream and its meaning. God revealed the dream to Daniel after he prayed for mercy with his friends because 
these guys were in the mix too. They're all going to get executed, right? So Daniel says, goes to God and he says, you know, maybe, maybe God will give us some help here. So I want to read these verses. It's just so incredibly instructive. And, and so some, in some ways, we're in a time like this where we have this, we're very, very aware, more aware than usual, but it's, it's been that way for maybe a decade. Very unusual, uh, unusually where the church is of what's going on in upper echelons of government, right? And so we see here, of course, all these people are enslaved, but these guys get promoted to the top, which had its challenges. Then Daniel returned. This is, uh, wait, let me make sure I got my, where I'm, where I'm at here. I'm losing my place. All right. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter for his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from God, the God of heaven, concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what... This is very interesting. He knows what lies in darkness. Some of us are shocked. We just wonder, do you really know what's going on, God? We act like he doesn't know what's going on. He, we act like he doesn't have a part of it, right? But here, Daniel is getting this revealed to him. He's a Hebrew slave, he, but he's at a high echelon of government, and his own existence, his own life is going to be, determin- be determined by whether he interprets his dream, right? He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I like that. I thank and praise you, God, of my answers. You've given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we asked of you. You've made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Ariok, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to this king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Amazing. Could God use us that way still? Could that be possible? Could God raise us up? You know, one thing about it that's sort of interesting uh, we've seen is we've seen the church bumping up this way, and we saw it for really the first time, I think, ever, prophetically bump up. And, and actually a king that would listen, Trump would listen, you know, which whether you like Trump or not is irrelevant. Well, not irrelevant, but it was the, the amazing, amazing thing is that he, they were bumping up and giving him words, and he was like listening. <laughs> I mean... I don't know of any president that was that vocal or that much allied or at least seemed to be interested, right? Not to mention Israel at the same time. It was just unprecedented. Ariok took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. <laughs> this is really standard. Now, let me just say something here. I believe that we could be headed on the same path. And really... Um, can I just say this? I, I, I got a feeling also that it doesn't have to be the super duper guys that we see. And that's one thing I regret. I just think our prophetic movement has been way over publicized. You know? I do. And I think it's perverted it a little bit. I think it's messed it up a little bit. Thing is, what God wants to do is He wants all of us to hear God's voice in a way that we can't imagine. And it may just be some lowly person here, a lowly person there that gets put in a high position. But I'm finding that actually our people are getting put in higher and higher weird positions of authority. 
And in their prayers and their life with God, they can become the answers to very difficult problems. And I think God wants to promote people from within that way, and companies and governments and so on, right? Not that many people that can interpret a dream or give wisdom for a very difficult question. So I believe the prophetic ministry that God's arising up is alive and well. And I just think he wants to make sure that all of us are on the same page. All of us are listening. The body of Christ is fundamentally different than the prophets of old because now every one of us has the spirit of an anointing of God on the inside of us. So all of us are going to begin to hear things and see things you know, and understand things at a level that I don't think the general uh, population of the body of Christ uh, really has had in the past. I think we're, we have unusual eyes in this last generation before Jesus comes back. And I think it's amazing. So, he asked, so the king asked him, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And right now, I, I believe there's a lot of people that if you told the dream to people, even in our church, they could actually interpret it give you a stab at it, give kind of a general idea of it anyway. Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or a diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. How many know there's a little few mysteries out there? (laughs) We're trying to figure out a few mysteries out there, like, what is this COVID thing? Like, variant this, very, I mean, isn't there a mystery in the air, all this stuff going on? Everybody's trying to find answers no wise man, enchanter, musician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery is asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and who would he be the most apt to reveal those mysteries to? A man of God, like you and me, or like Daniel. For you that work in companies, for you that have godly believers in your company, and for you as a believer, if you own your company, God reveals mysteries. If you ask him, he'll show you what to do. Especially if it's going to cause Grace in the kingdom where it's going to cause movement or change or even elect a political official. By the way, they don't seem to get elected without a lot of money, right? Wow. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you are lying in bed are these. So he just begins to interpret the thing. Well, he immediately goes up, man. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar knows this is it, right? And so Daniel also interpreted another dream for Nebuchadnezzar, prophesying of, of his impending insanity that was the last <laughs> was the last for seven years. And oddly enough, um, Nebuchadnezzar uh, thanks him for the interpretation, then goes insane for seven <laughs> years, <laughs> which is really weird. You would think they were kicking him out, but they waited to get a, he waited to get over his insanity seven years, and then he went right back in the saddle. Daniel even became a key leader in the next empire, the Medo-Persian Empire of King Cyrus. So after that one was done, the Babylonians, then came the Medo-Persian Empire, King Cyrus, also known as Darius. Prayer was so central to Daniel's life that he would not give it up, even at the risk of his own life. I want you to get this, okay? So what happens is that these guys that are with this new king can't stand Daniel. He's got too much grace on his life. They don't like it, right? So they're going to try to devise a plan where they can get him uh, whacked, right? And so what they think is, well, you know what? Let's just invent this thing. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself amongst the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. My goodness, the whole kingdom! 
Wow. I don't think we ever thought that might be possible, even our own government. But now we're beginning to see more and more. This could be possible. This could be possible. Christians in very, very high places. I suggest we start praying for that continually, asking God to replace authority figures and put godly people in there. I think he's in the process of doing that. I pray if we sharpen up with our guard, our prayer, and our, our understanding of what part we play in this whole thing, that I think we might just see more and more of that happen. We already have. I don't think we've seen anything yet. I think we're going to we can see far more. But here's an interesting thing. They're trying to trap Daniel, but his lifestyle and the lifestyle of his friends was a lifestyle of prayer. That's what he was known for. All right? He used to pray all the time. And he would open the windows three times a day and he would pray for Jerusalem. Three times a day. This man was a man of prayer. Here he is sitting right underneath the king, has the king's air about everything. Didn't matter the king. One king, then the next one comes. He's assistant to him too, right? Because he's got the spirit of God on him. Who can find a person with the spirit of God on him? This guy knows exactly what to do. He hears God's voice. He understands. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charging charges against Daniel's conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And while we're getting super spiritual, this is also very, very important. No corruption, no negligence, hard worker, sharp and spiritual. These are the kind of employees God's looking for, the kind of people to run businesses and governments. He's looking for these kind of people. I believe God's going to promote these kind of people. But there's one little incident here, one little thing here we've got to understand. Daniel was a man of absolute prayer and fasting. Three times a day, praying the same thing for 70 years. And other things as well. Even praying to get revelation so they didn't get killed. <laughs> right? Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So his administrators went as a group to king, the king and said, May King Darius, this King Cyrus as well, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, and advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being except the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty shall be thrown into the lion's den. Wow. What an amazing story this is. So Daniel... He not only does not stop praying, see what he would do is he'd open the window. So like, you, you would think, okay, I'll just do it privately in the room, nobody will know, right? No. He makes a big deal of it. Because he opens the window toward Jerusalem, so, and I would assume he's praying orally out loud and everybody can hear him. So I'm sure they're underneath the window listening, right? <laughs> barge in, and when they barge in, he just keeps on going. Wow. This guy thought so highly of prayer that he would not stop. He risked his life to do this. He understood his lifeline was to God and he wasn't about to bend. He understood the significance of his prayer life. He understood that that's where he got all of his authority. That's where, where he got it, right? So, so, uh, so then, long story short, uh, King ends up having to throw him in the lion, lion's den. It's a very famous story we see in all of our Sunday school classes, right? Hopefully we teach it right. They threw him in the lion's den, and the king says on the way in, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. <laughs> Sayonara. <laughs> I got to do it. <laughs> so away he goes. I think he was curious to see what would happen, right? And guess what? 
Daniel gets uh, delivered. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of all his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not, may not be changed. I mean, this is like brutal. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. May God send, my God send his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done anything wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. And then King Darius went, wow. (laughs) He wrote to all the nations and the peoples of every language and all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Okay. So this is all exciting. But notice what happened here. He not only had a prophetic side to him, but it was his prayer life. He cherished it more than his life itself. And he was willing to die so he could pray. Wow. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered in the reign of Cyrus and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. We do not have to adapt and look like the governments of this world. We just have to be ourselves. We have to bring what we bring to the table, and it's enough. We have the power to change, rearrange seasons. We have the power to prophesy. And we have the power especially to pray. And it's the last thing that all of us think of sometimes in our businesses and our governments and all the things we do. But it's number one thing. It's the number one thing. The number one issue. And if you gather together in Washington, pray. Don't talk. Pray. Pray as much as you possibly can while you have the opportunity. God's heard our words, our philosophies of life. Pray. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then what's the rest of it? He'll heal our land. This is where we find ourselves. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go to the Washington Monument. You don't have to go to the Washington Monument. Do it now. Pray now. Make it part of your life. The shameless audacity of prayer. It changes everything. We just need to get back in the hang of this. Praying for our government, praying for authorities, praying for these horrible situations. Later, Daniel discerned that Jeremiah's prophecy, the exile of of Israel for 70 years, had come to an end. 70 years he'd been in the governments. 70 years. He'd been praying three times a day for 70 years. You know why? He had a word. He knew Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah the prophet said after 70 years as it would be returned. So it's interesting, like how we handle prophecy or words from the Lord. See, prayer in a way eclipses the words of the Lord. Well, it's just going to happen. I don't even need to pray. Well, set my watch. I'll wake up 70 years. No, no. You're part of the thing. I don't understand how it is. God makes a proclamation. Then you pray it through. This has already been happening 
on a larger uh, governmental scale. It's kind of sort of amazing. There's a couple of really cr- crazy examples. For years and years, so maybe a decade at least, before the Berlin Wall fall, fell, people started praying and prophesying. Prophesying first and then praying for that wall to come down. And it came down. I mean, this was well known in the body of Christ. There was prophets that were talking about it, but there was a massive intercession that was going on. And it was so cataclysmic. It was way bigger than it looked. We're all celebrating communism and it's falling apart, blah, blah, blah. But that wasn't the significance of the event at all. The significance of the event was a whole bunch of Jews went to Israel. And did you know in Israel today, those Jews that went to Israel, those are the ones that are getting converted over and over and over again? Even the Saab, or those that have stayed there, been there for a long time, they're not the ones that are getting touched right now. All these imported Jews that got let, set free from behind the Iron Curtain in Russia, these are the ones that are getting converted. They're wide open to the gospel. Isn't that amazing? It was a huge thing. The body of Christ prayed it, prophesied it, and it happened. So this isn't so far away from home. This isn't so far away, right? There are other world events, and actually we might as well just start learning how to do business like this, because I believe this is the business of the end times. Massive intercession, revelation from God in response to it, understanding the right times and procedures, and God using the body of Christ. I have a rather victorious view. The only thing that bothers me about the end times and our response to it is, I'm just, can I just say this kindly? I just don't like the negativity of the body of Christ right now. I think you're too negative. I think we're too negative. Come on, in light of these... There's something here that's more than you see, right? Don't spend, waste your time railing at the government, whatever. Is that going to make them better, cursing him? I don't think so. So these guys, Daniel's praying for these killers. This guy's like, I love you, Daniel, but you know what? You prayed for a couple of times. They caught you, so I got to throw you in. You got to get eaten by lions now. Oh, good, you got out. Yay, Daniel. That's the way they are, right? We're not talking about Daniel praying with really nice, kind-hearted, good gentlemen. They were wicked and they would slit your throat at the moment's notice, right? Because they had all power in their kingdom and all authority, right? So this is who Daniel's working under, right? And that's why another reason why he's probably praying three times a day. He understood how fragile his condition was, right? Sometimes we feel fragile uh, today as well, right? So later, Daniel discerned that the Jeremiah's prophecy of the exile of Israel for 40 years had come to an end. He had counted the years. He had shamelessly and audaciously prayed. I mean, you would think, 70 years, okay, fine. No. He had shamelessly and audaciously prayed three times a day, even at the risk of his life, for 70 years. At the end of 70 years, he turned to the Lord with prayer and fasting. And we read about it in Daniel chapter 9. And the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made Babylonian ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So here's his response to it. Now, Darius the Mede is, by the way, the same as Cyrus. So just so you know, we're on the same page here. It's a Persian. So I turned... Okay. So he discerns from the script that's going to happen. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Right? Isn't that weird? I mean, okay, God, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. We have this sort of, I don't understand. It's a mystery here. All I know is you just don't do that. All right? Sovereignty of God. You're out. It's going to happen. Yeah, okay. If it happens, it happens. No. I don't know how it works exactly. All I know is we're a part of this. 
And I don't know what would have happened if he wouldn't have prayed at that time. All I know is our intercession feeds something and somehow it connects with the sovereignty of God and that's above my pray grade and will always be above my pray grade. I just do what I'm supposed to do. You know what I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what I'm supposed to do. Right? That's my job. And if I get promoted to some weird position, then also I guess my job is also dream interpreter and prophet, right? Get back to that in a minute. Right. What an amazing thing. At the end of 70 years, he turns. He's such a a remarkable person. Now he's an old man. Now, let's look at verse 17. Now, our God, hear the petitions and prayers, prayers and petitions of your servant for your sake, Lord. Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Verse 18 of Daniel 9. Give ear, our God, and hear, open our eyes, and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Wow. That's a big one today. Sometimes I worry about us. I worry about the church. They just uh, come across way too self-righteous. Not because of our righteousness, because I'm just calling out because of mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. That's where we can go. That's what we appeal on the basis of. I'm a Christian. I got it in my name. My city and my people, we bear your name. Lord, hear us for that reason. And God says, mm-hmm. Okay. Now you're on the right track. <laughs> well, I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, this is an angel, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. So angels are moving in response to our prayers. I don't know if you knew that. We see it all through scriptures. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, wow, as soon as I opened my mouth, a word went out which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. So he begins to tell him about the future and what's going to happen, right? Even the distant future. I like that. As soon as you began to pray, you put things in motion. That's so cool. Now, you have to accept that by faith. But he understood. He had already been accepted by faith for years and years. And even when they were looking at him, seeing if he would pray, he said, I'm going to pray. I don't care. If you put me in the lion's den, I'm going to pray anyway. I mean, I would have got a little quiet, you know, in my prayer closet instead of in front of the window and maybe tried that, you know. No. This is, he was making a statement. I'm not afraid of you. I'm afraid of the God of the universe. I serve him first. So in response to Daniel's prayer, the Lord moved on the heart of Cyrus, the Persian, to let Israel go. We see this in Second Chronicles, there at the bottom of your page. We see it in Second Chronicles 36, verses 22 to 33. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah the the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Any of his people among you may go up, and may the Lord, their God, be with them. Amazing. And they go back, right? What an amazing story. Through repentance and prayer, we lay hold of God's mercy. God may remove a bad ruler, or he may change their hearts, making them instruments of mercy. King David described the power of a godly ruler who rules in the fear of God in 2 Samuel 23, verses 1 to 4. 
you know, even despite all this and God using bad rulers, why don't we just pray for good rulers and uh, that might be a little easier, right? We can do that. Here's what a good ruler is like. Listen to this. I love this. This could be our goal. These are the last words David ever spoke. Listen to this. The inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse, the utterance of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's songs. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, when one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he's like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. Don't be casual in praying for your authorities that are over you, government authorities. Now is the time more than ever. We've caught a glimpse of what it's like when authority can be a little bit different. Many administrations, not just this current, all of many administrations have their weaknesses and their strengths. But don't you like this? One that rules people in righteousness, he rules in the fear of God. He's like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after the rain that brings grass. And he's refreshing. He, he refreshes. She refreshes. Whoever is put in power, put in some uh, realm of authority, right? And so I'm going to just finish with this. Um, as I was preparing this, I, I just felt like, with regard to our ch- the church as a whole, I just think there are three end-time priorities, and I'll finish quickly with this, that the entire church should be paying attention to. All right? So one priority, something that should be on our mind day and night, is Matthew 24, 14. This actually was in the uh, context of end-time things. It, it telescopes. Sometimes prophecy telescopes. You know what I mean by that? Sometimes it will prophesy of something immediately that's about to happen, but then have another application hundreds of years down the road. Right? So it telescopes. Right? This crash passage is one of those. He talks about the end times. He's talking about the immediate time when Jesus is going to leave and what's going to happen to believers. They'll be persecuted, false prophets. But he's also talking about a time later, our time, or the time where the end is. Because the increase of the wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this one here, Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. As you're looking at government authorities and governments and so on, remember this. This is the drama behind the drama. In our world today, parallel to all the activity that's going on, the most unusual manifestation of the power of God is manifesting throughout the nations of the world. That's why we need to stay focused here, but also we need to focus out there. Because actually this thing ends when the gospel has been preached in all the nations. You think, well, isn't the information out there? Absolutely not. There's a couple hundred million Indians, for example, that have never heard the name Jesus. It's just you don't know. Masses of people maybe even heard the name of Jesus, but have no idea who Jesus is, right? Our task is to reach all those nations, all those places. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a test of all nations, and then the end will come. So right now, the gospel is moving at unparalleled speed in the nations, moving at a rate nobody would have figured. Even I've told you about India, but other nations as well, Muslim nations, that are encountering God at a place that nobody would have imagined. It's picking up steam all over the world all over the place. There is the nations of the world, and then there's the story of the holy nation. 
that's arising in all nations and Muslim nations and places we never dreamed, even we wouldn't have dreamed 20 years ago. Our church is involved in those nations. I made it my goal, since I understood this a long time ago, that I wanted to pastor a church, but I wanted a church that would also be involved in the nations because that's where all the action is. So God faithfully, gratefully has let me do both. And I am just enamored with it. I tell you, when you see what God does, and when you are in a place in the world, even where I was a few years ago, 30, 40 years ago, places that I thought would never be reached with the gospel, I've never be thought God then used us, me, and others like us, putting together all our resources, and now these places of the world are being touched, and with it, great signs and wonders and miracles. And at the same time, we're seeing the evangelization of Jewish people, of the same parallel. Somehow or another, they're coming together. Jews are coming to Christ. Gentiles are coming to Christ in an unparalleled way. And there's some sort of marriage that's about to happen and coming together, right, as the body of Christ around the earth, the government of God around the earth. So this is one thing that's going on. And the shameless audacity of prayer is what's propelling it. Prayer for the nations. Prayer for every time, tongue, and nation. Because this gospel of the kingdom will be preached every place. By nations, he doesn't mean um, national entities. He means nations, mean uh, tribes, nations. Because within India, for, there's thousands and thousands of nations within the nation of India that have their own context, their own culture, and will not come to Christ unless someone brings the gospel in that context, right? So we cry out for these nations. It's part of our responsibility that God would finish the task and that God would send these laborers into the harvest. This is the number one thing that's happening around the earth right now. The holy nation is arising within the nations at a pace that nobody has ever seen before in the history of humankind. Right now, they estimate there's probably something like 30% Christian and 20% Muslim, something like that. But those aren't the real statistic. What the real statistic is that the market share of Christianity amongst the world population is growing. But I'm not just talking about people who call themselves Christians. I'm talking about born-again, powerful believers. They're emerging in all the nations. And we're sowing and growing and growing. It's the most exciting adventure for the church. Don't sleep through this harvest. It's the end-time harvest. Maybe it's not in a theater near you, but it's in a theater not far from you, and everybody can get to it with one pain fight. That's the most amazing thing on the planet. It's, your, it's, it's part of the whole thing. It's part of the whole picture of shameless audacity. We can actually pray for these places, and we're in the time frame where all of it's beginning to happen. This number two thing is happening. There is a prophetic and prayer movement afoot on the earth that the world has never seen before. The awareness of intercession and prayer and the awareness of prophetic ministry and prophets and people get unusual revelation, even ordinary people, all of us, is an unusual uh, time. It reminds you exactly of the time of Daniel. Daniel highlights for us what can happen when the church comes into proximity with the nations and even the highest levels of government, right? It's a picture. That picture is being reproduced all over the earth right now. The gospel is reaching way high into governments and way into the, uh, the farthest regions of the poor. And that's the third thing, major thing that's happening in the earth. God is concerned to bring justice to the poor and the broken. That's a third theme in the earth. God always, when he was on earth, Jesus was always concerned. And the early church was always concerned. But now, as we reach into these highways and byways, justice all kinds of justice issues, human trafficking issues that have been left and dormant for centuries, abusing women and children and all kinds of things. Justice is coming to the earth. That's why God's government comes. He brings justice to those things. Not only those things, but just the sheer poverty and just people just trying to make a living, all of that, that justice is coming. So that's a third major arena. And where the church is right at the forefront of this, these three areas, the prophetic 
prayer area, the justice for the weak and the poor area, and this whole discipleship of the nations. These are the three things that should be attacked by the shameless audacity of prayer, but are privileged to enter into as believers in this century and the time. And as we see the thing close, these are three areas that God will be pulling on the church. Whatever, whoever gets involved in these areas will be blessed, blessed, blessed. Whoever gets involved with the poor and the broken, God will bless. Justice, ringing out. Our nation desperately needs justice. Our nation does not know what to do. Believe me, I have really firsthand experience with it. Our nation does not know how to handle the broken. Guess who does? We do. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. That's what I said to God over and over again. But he's teaching me. I can feel the wisdom coming. In my own way, in our own way, he's teaching us, showing us, this is how you do it. Wisdom. That's what we do. We get wisdom. We get revelation. We get insight. Our prophetic insight's not only about who's going to win the next election. Our prophetic insight is, you know, if you would just do that, I think that people would do much better. What we need is Daniel's to help us get wisdom on how to deal with the problems, the social problems of our day. It's critical. And problems that have been in the earth forever. Slavery across masses of people. Death and destruction. God hates it all. He hates it all. You know what? If the church comes anywhere near it, he's not only going to deal with their soul, he's going to deal with these mass injustices that have been perpetrated on people for centuries. He's going to do it. He is doing it. These three things are right in the motion in the... Heart behind all of them is this wonderful, wonderful prayer that God uses and the prophets God uses to drive it all. It's amazing. He shows us where to push. He shows us how to pray. And, and the boundaries come down and the doors open. Praise God we live in this century. Amen? Let's all stand. Lord, I pray as we finish on a high and lofty note, <laughs> but we got to go back to work tomorrow. We've got families to tend to. We've got worries about our health. And we have lots of decisions to make about the education of our children that aren't easy. So I'm asking you today that you would teach us to be bold and to learn to pray to God and listen and get real answers for our stuff. So I've been talking in pretty lofty terms as we get to the end right here. But let's just go down to the all of us right here. As I was speaking, I just felt compassion because many of us have been in difficult situations and we're still not out. And if anything, I could say for a lot of us, we just need wisdom. What do I do next? I just do not know what to do next. Some of us aren't in that place, but a lot of us are. And if we're not in that place, we could see how if things unfold in the wrong way, we're worried about what we will do next. Right? There's a lot of fear in the air. It's not necessary. It's natural because of the kind of threats and stuff, the kinds of things that we haven't seen before. But you know what? What we also haven't seen before is this amazing voice of God that's beginning to speak and the amazing prayer of the saints that's being offered at a rate that humanity's never seen before. I just want to be part of the answer. How about you? But let's just bring this right down to now. I just encourage you. Some of you just really need God to intervene. You just need God to come. You, need to tell, you just need wisdom for what do I do next? I have people coming to me all the time. You know, do you get the vaccination or not? Do I do this or doing that? You know what? I tell them, 
I said, you know, I'll be praying for you. I just want you to hear what God has to say. Amen. When he says it, you go do it, right? Yep. And that's important because God tells them to do it. Even if I told them to do it and they don't really know if they believe, it doesn't do them any good. They've got to hear for themselves what to right. do. And you know what? God will show you. And interestingly enough, he might tell one person to do one thing and somebody else to do another thing. That's possible. It's absolutely possible. That's why it's so important for us to respect one another, yeah. honor one another, and go about the Father's business, these priorities I mentioned. Can't live in this world without these priorities. I just think these three priorities of prayer, priorities right now of, 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 of justice and mercy, you know, priorities of the, what God's doing in the nations. It's an amazing time we live in. It's an amazing time. Put a smile on. You're living in the end times. It sounded better a couple of years ago, huh? Like three or four years ago, it was a lot better. A lot more cheers. Wow, it's getting sort of serious now. But I tell you, there's more reality than ever before. And more people coming to Jesus and more sincerity and more pruning in the church has brought more and more fruit. I can feel it. Hmm. But it starts with a prayer. Ah, I just think there's a lot of prayer that wants to be offered from your heart today. If you'd just like to take some time at the front just to pray over an area of your life, just say, Lord, here I am. You can just spend two minutes or five minutes. You can do it from your chair if you like or if it feels better, just come up here. So why don't you just come up if you want from wherever you're at. And I just want to give a space. Whatever is on your mind, the front burner of your mind, why don't you pray and ask God, just come on up, do business with the Lord. Or stay there if you like, it doesn't matter. And I'm just going to pray a general prayer. And then as we do the worship, just do some wonderful business with God. Whatever you do, this message was not meant to depress you. It was meant to fire you up. It was meant for you to see the possibilities for your life. You're not helpless. We're not helpless. We have each other, but most importantly, we have the Lord. And He seems to be interested in us. He says, you know, why don't you pray, give me this day my daily bread and see what I do. Well, I did that once. Don't do it 10 times, 15 times. Do it till He brings the bread. I need guidance, Lord. I need to know, what am I supposed to do? I need my, my, my loved ones saved. Lord, what do I do? Even if you don't know what to say, God have mercy on me is a good one. Just say that over and over again. He gets the point. My surprise, you know, he already knows what you need mercy on. So just tell him, I need mercy. He get it. For you that have children that are not doing well, may the Lord bring them to God. May God, I just bring a summons from this pulpit in the name of Jesus. Get saved, children. Get saved. Stop walking down that pathway. It's nothing but death. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of death over our kids. For those that don't have jobs anymore, wondering about their career, in the name of Jesus, may the Lord provide for you abundantly. May God give you creative and new ideas if you don't have a job. And may God give you success. And may you be promoted like Daniel and Joseph if you are in a job right now. May God give you favor. May the, your bosses look with favor on you. In Jesus' name. May God heal you if you're sick. Maybe you've been sick for a while and weak. Or maybe you're worried about your relatives, especially kids or family or older adults. Jesus, would you just cover them? We put a blanket around them. 
God, I love your voice. Would you speak to us like you did Daniel? Would you tell him what to do? Would you give us the tenacity to pray every day, three times a day, even when it hurts, even when there's threats? Would you do that for us? Would you just fire us up on the inside? Would you help us to see higher and longer? I pray, God, as even as we pray in response to this music and worship is going up, I pray, God, that you would just cause amazing prayer to go up in this room. Prayers of authority, prayers of grace, prayers of mercy. Lord, we're going to put it up to you, and we're trusting you, like Daniel, to solve the problem. Speak in our ear like you did Daniel. May we hear your voice loud and clear. May you tell us what to do. May you give us the right time and procedure for everything that we need today, and tomorrow, and the next day. In Jesus' mighty name, we throw ourselves on the mercy of the court, the courts of heaven, which are always faithful and merciful and helpful. You cared enough to die for us. You care enough to answer our prayer. And you gave us access to the Father. We come boldly to a throne of grace today. In Jesus' mighty name. So they're just going to do some worship, and you guys continue on with whatever you're praying. Maybe someone will come and stand there and pray with you in a little bit too. Stay as long as you like. And if you could just, uh, if you have to go, if you could just leave kind of quietly and uh, just let everybody just make this a house of prayer for a while, okay? I think there's serious business going on. I can see the faith rising up about 10 degrees here. There's serious stuff going on here. The interactions you're making with God at this service, I think many of you are going to be pleasantly surprised what God does on the other end. Maybe you got beat down with COVID a little bit too hard and you just need freedom and grace. May God breathe on you. I, I take your spirit out of jail. May you fly again.